Well, how many of you have ever had a dream that totally freaked you out? Let me see a show of hands. You got a dream and it just, man, it just wrecked you. Like for the rest of that day, I've had a lot of that. Uh, my, my wife has a lot of dreams about me. And I know you probably guessed that. And before you're like, uh, or before you're like, ooh, that's kind of like TMI, bro. Um, they're not those kinds of dreams, okay? When she dreams about Clayton, uh, oftentimes it's jerk Clayton, okay? Clayton's a jerk. And uh, then I pay for jerk Clayton in her dreams for the rest of the day. You know, I'm like, what's, what's wrong? Dream Clayton was a real jerk to me last night. Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't do any of that, okay? <laughs> that's, that's, that wasn't me, okay? Sometimes we have dreams that really affect us, that, that, that really trouble us. And you're going to read about a dream, a vision that Daniel had that deeply troubled him here in Daniel chapter seven. And as you read it, uh, you're going to be like, is this a dream or is this an acid trip? I'm not really sure, uh, but it is a dream. Okay. It is a vision from God. So if you got your Bible, turn to Daniel chapter seven. If you haven't been here for any of our series, it's called Kings and Kingdom. It's on our app, our podcast. It's on YouTube. Uh, I don't have time to catch you up on everything that's going on. Uh, but if you have missed, I highly encourage you go online, and get caught up with our series. But let me just give you a brief intro, okay, of who we are uh, and where we're at, all right, in this book. Daniel and his friends, uh, most people know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're a part of the extended royal family in the nation of Judah. And uh, he and his friends have been taken into exile. They are captives uh, to the nation of Babylon, to King Nebuchadnezzar, who God led to destroy Jerusalem, to sack and take Judah, the people of Judah, into captivity. We learned that in Daniel chapter one, that for their sin, 500 years of sin and idolatry, God brought the nation of Babylon against his people, Judah, and they took them into captivity. And so now Daniel and his friends have been exiles in Babylon. Now we've also got what we, we've said or referred to as the SOB, right? And the SOB isn't that dude you work with, okay? It's the spirit of Babylon. The spirit of Babylon is at work and is present in all times, in all nations, in all places. We see it in the very beginning and we see the spirit of Babylon at work in the very end. The spirit of Babylon is the spirit of Satan. It's the spirit of antichrist that wants to lead people away from the worship of the one true God, wants to steal worship from God. It's the spirit of Babylon that creates counterfeits to God's creation. And so we've talked about that. We've seen that, okay? Now, Daniel, as I've told you, isn't about just what happened. It's not just history, okay? It's about what is happening. It's about what always happens. And it's about what's going to happen in the last days. And you're going to see that this morning. You see, you and I need to know how to be faithful worshipers of Jesus, both now and in the last days. I believe we are in the last days. I believe Jesus will return in my lifetime. You may not, and that's fine. But regardless, Jesus shared many parables about how his followers should be ready every day, that we should be watchful and waiting for the return of Jesus in the book of Daniel is going to help us be watchful and ready and prepared for that day when Jesus returns. Contrary to popular opinion in our country today, the Bible is not about practical steps to your best life now. The Bible is about being a faithful worshiper of Jesus. Jesus and all the scripture is about him and points to him. It's about loving, following, and worshiping Jesus. And so we don't need inspirational words with practical tips for better living. No, we need the inspired word of God to help you and I be faithful followers and worshipers of Jesus in our day and in our 
time because the spirit of Babylon is at work. It's at work right now trying to distract you. It's at work right now trying to put you to sleep or, or, or get you disengaged from what we're doing right now. The spirit of Babylon is always at work to confuse and destroy and to steal worship from God. Now, before we get into Daniel chapter seven, here's what you got to know about Daniel seven through nine in the next, uh, the weeks that are following. Okay. These are called apocalyptic literature. This is apocalyptic literature, which usually speaks to the present and coming soon, but it also points to what's coming later in the last days. You can study some history in school, but you're only going to get prophecy in the word of God and at church. Now, if you're here and you're like, bro, Daniel 7, 8, 9, like I got it. I know what all of it means. I got all my charts. I know when it's all happening. I know what it all represents. And I know the day that Jesus is returning. Uh, okay, you don't, first of all. And secondly, you're weird. Now I'm gonna show you my chart here in a little bit. I'm not weird, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, I'm a little weird. I'm gonna show you some charts. I'm gonna try to help explain what's going on here. I'm gonna give you my interpretation of these things. But these things are what we call most of it open-handed issues, meaning you could have a different interpretation of this and it's really not that big of a deal. Uh, a lot of what I'm gonna share with you today is open-handed. Uh, we're, we're not positive on these things. We, we just know what uh, scholars and commentators and theologians have told us over thousands of years. And I'm gonna do my best to, to share with you my, my interpretation of these things, but most of it's what we call open-handed, which means we can discuss it. We can, we can debate it. There's many different interpretations. Some of what we're going to talk about though, is in the closed hand and in the closed hand, these are things that we don't debate on. These are things that are very clear from scripture in the closed hand, uh, an antichrist is going to come to power. He's going to rule. Jesus is going to return. He's going to come again on the clouds one day from heaven. He's going to judge the antichrist, Satan and all of his followers. And he's going to set up his kingdom where he will rule forever. That's in the closed hand. There, there's, there, there's nothing to disagree on about that. If you, if you read and study the scripture, but a lot of what we'll talk about today is in the open hand when it refers to things that are to come. Now, apocalyptic literature often uses creative imagery to communicate truth from God. And you're going to see that today. Creative imagery to communicate truth from God. These images will speak truly, accurately, and intensely, but they are not precise. They do not communicate precisely. And so you may wonder why, then why would God use creative imagery to uh, communicate his truth about the end. Well, several reasons. A couple of those uh, are that so that so because if it was that precise, then it would be uh, you know if this is the day that you're, you're he's returning and uh, this is what all is going to happen and this is what all of it means. Um, there would be so much for us to uh, then argue about. So so much more for us to argue about and to hope in and to be sure of instead of the return of Jesus. God wants us looking to Jesus, not some of these smaller details as much. But God does speak to us through these images and God uses creative imagery to evoke powerful feelings and emotion in its hearers and readers. And I hope it does that for you today as you read about these beasts and the son of man that's going to come from the class, this imagery, these visions that, that Daniel has, I hope it evokes, it elicits a lot of feeling and emotion inside of it. It can wake you up and it could put a fire in your belly for the things of God like nothing else can when you read creative imagery that communicates truth 
from God. Now these visions that Daniel has provide some of the most comprehensive and detailed prophecy of future events, some of which has already occurred for us is history found anywhere in the Old Testament. And so when I say that what we're reading today is the word of God or the scripture is the the word of God, we don't say that lightly and we're not mincing words. This book was written by God because no one except God alone could predict the future with such precise accuracy. And so you can be confident that when you read this book, this is the inspired word of God. It's God breathed just like Paul told Timothy. And we can prove that because we've got some detailed prophecy of future events to come in Daniel 7, Daniel 8, Daniel 9, much of which has already occurred, found anywhere in the Old Testament or the scripture for that matter. And here's why. Here's why God reveals things about the end for us. Because if the future is open, then you're going to stress. But if God is in control and rules the future, and as the old song says, he's got the whole world in his hands, then you can mourn and struggle with hope. And I can mourn and struggle in this life with hope, the hope that is to come of an eternal king and kingdom that is to come. So let's dive into Daniel chapter seven. You ready? You ready for Daniel seven? All right, well, it doesn't matter. I'm going there anyway. So that's that's what we're gonna do. That's what we're gonna do. Whether you're excited about it or not, we're gonna dive in. Daniel chapter seven, verse one. Turn with me there in your Bible, in your copy of the scripture on your phone. Download our app, the City Church Lubbock. Click message notes and the verses will be there. The points and even some of the graphics that I'm gonna share with you today will be there so that you can take those with you. Daniel chapter seven, verse one. One Earlier, during the first year of King Belshazzar's reign in Babylon, Daniel had a dream and saw visions as he lay in his bed. He wrote down the dream and this is what he saw. So Daniel's telling us we're going back to the first year of Belshazzar. We're going back to the Babylonian kingdom. He's, he's referring back to this period in his life where he saw these dreams and visions. If you've been here with us, you know, in Daniel 6, by that time, Persia's taken over, Darius is in charge. Well, now... He's looking back. So we're going back in time. Daniel has, is talking about this dream and vision that he had. And uh, this is what God does. God gives his people dreams and visions to communicate his truth, to reveal things to them. He gives dreams and visions to his people still today about things he wants to do. He wants them to do rather for his kingdom, for his glory and for the sake of the church. God gives dreams in visions, verse two, in my vision that night, I, Daniel, saw a great storm turning the surface of a great sea with strong winds blowing from every direction. So the sea and the scripture regularly stands for the peoples or nations of the earth. And the sea is symbolic of polluted, turbulent, sinful humanity as we try to live and govern ourselves in our own wisdom and strength, but it only serves to bring a constant state of unrest, chaos, and turmoil. And how many of us know that is true today more than ever? Constant state of unrest, chaos, and turmoil. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4 that as we mature in Christ, as we grow in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we we will get a firm foundation by which we won't be blown back and forth, Paul said, by the sea and by the storms of life and by every new wind of teaching. We won't be blown back and forth by the sea, by the storm, Paul said, as we grow and as we mature in Christ. Verse three, then 
four huge beasts came up out of the water, each different from the other. As you keep reading, verse 17 is going to tell us these beasts represent kingdoms. And I believe these beasts match what we saw in Daniel 2 in the vision of the statue that Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar and then interpreted for him. I believe these beasts mirror and match the stages of that or the sections of that statue. But today you're going to get more. And then next week in Daniel chapter eight, you're going to get even more than that. But we still do this today. We typify countries, schools, political parties with animals, right? So, so, so what's the the, 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 the national animal for the United States of America. It's the eagle, right? Um, what's the animal for the Democratic Party? What, what, now, don't say the, the naughty word, okay? Say, say the nice word, the church word, okay? Okay, it's the donkey, right? What, what's the animal for the Republican Party? It's an elephant, right? So, so if I were to say to you, well, the donkey went against the elephant to rule the eagle. We'd be all like, oh, that's an election year. That makes sense to us. Now to people in other times and places, they'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, what, what are you smoking, bro? What, what, what are you saying? Like eagles don't go against elephants to rule eagles. That just doesn't happen. But in our context, it makes more sense. Okay. The same thing was true in Daniel's day. And you're going to see that powerful, not only today, but even more so next week. If I said the matador defeated the longhorn, you would say, oh, that's basketball. We, we've been dominant. We, we swept them, right? We, we dominated those longhorns, those evil demons, right? From Austin. We, we dominated them this year. Okay. So you, you, you get this, you understand this because we still use animals to depict schools, parties, countries, even to this day. And this imagery, it ignites our soul. It wakes us up to the real enemy here and to the real victor. Verse four, the first beast was like a lion with eagle's wings. As I watched, its wings were pulled off and it was left standing with its two hind feet on the ground like a human being. And it was given a human mind. I believe this wing animal refers to the nation, the empire of Babylon, the Babylonian empire, because it was their symbol. In fact, on the Ishtar gates going into Babylon, here's what you would see. You would see this on the gates and these are in museums today, but you would see this lion. And I don't know if you can see here, but this wing comes back right here. It's the wing of an eagle. And so as you walked into Babylon, literally through the gates, you would see winged lions all over the Ishtar gates that led you into Babylon. But these wings are pulled off. And I believe this is referring to the experience of Nebuchadnezzar being humbled by God in chapter four. But then... It's standing on two feet like a man receiving a human mind. And I believe this is referring to Nebuchadnezzar's rule after his period of insanity. When his sanity is restored and he begins to live and act like a human again rather than like a beast. Verse 5, then I saw a second beast and it looked like a bear. It was rearing up on one side and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And I heard a voice saying to it, get up, devour the flesh of many people. I believe this bear is symbolic of the Medo-Persian empire. There are two empires that came together, but the Persian empire was much bigger and stronger. And that's why it's rearing up on one side. That's why the bear is leaning 
Because you hear about the Persian empire a lot, not a lot about the Media empire, but you hear about, or the Medo empire, you hear about the Persian empire because it was the Persian empire that took over. And so that's why the bear is leaning. And it's why in Daniel chapter eight, the ram has, that has two horns, one is bigger than the other. And so I believe you always take the more difficult to understand scripture and you interpret it in light of the easier to understand scripture. And so when we take Daniel 2, 8, and 9 together, 7, 8, and 9, we're, we're able to kind of make a little bit more sense and have a better guess as to what these things represent here. So the bear had three ribs in its mouth. And I believe this represents the conquest of the Persian empire as they defeated Babylon in 539 BC, Lydia in 546 BC and Egypt in 525 BC. Verse six, then the third of these strange beasts appeared and it looked like a leopard. It had four birds wings on its back and it had four heads, great authority was given to this beast. A leopard is fast, but if you add wings to it, oh my gosh, that is super fast. You couldn't stop it. And I believe this is referring to the Greek empire that was led by Alexander the Great. In 10 years, Alexander the Great conquered the entire known world at age 33. This dude and this empire worked fast, much like a leopard with four wings. He worked fast. And at the end of this 10 year conquest, Alexander the Great sat down and wept because he had no one else to conquer. He'd conquered the known world. Alexander the Great died at a young age with no heirs. And so the Greek empire was divided up and given to his four generals, which I believe represents the four heads on this Leopard. Now, here's what's interesting. None of this happened in Daniel's lifetime. The, the Greek empire had not come to power and had not obviously defeated the Persian empire before it. None of this had happened yet. Now it's happened later and it's history for you and I. But once again, we see amazing, precise, predictive prophecy. And just wait till next week. It gets even more obvious and even stronger that God is the author of this book. No one could predict the future with this kind of accuracy except God alone. In fact, liberal Bible scholars have thought and believed that Daniel 7 and things like Daniel chapter 8 must have been written later. They must have been written after these events happened because there's no way anyone could predict the future with this kind of accuracy. But we now know because of the manuscripts we have and things like the Dead Sea Scrolls, that this was in fact written before the Greek empire and written before the Roman empire that is to come. God is the author of this book. All scripture, Paul told Timothy, is God breathed. Verse seven, then in my vision that night, I saw a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, and very strong. It devoured and crushed its victims with huge iron teeth and trampled their remains beneath its feet. It was different from any of the other beasts and it had 10 horns. This beast with the iron teeth is not your mother-in-law, okay? So just get that idea out of your mind, okay? It's not your mother-in-law. This beast with the iron teeth represents the Roman Empire who ruled for nearly 1,700 years years. And this iron, I believe, refers back to Daniel chapter two, the iron in the statue that Daniel saw and interpreted for Nebuchadnezzar. 
Now, Jesus, if you remember, came under the rule of the Roman Empire. That's what he was crucified. Jesus uh, came and took on flesh and he died on the cross at the hands of the Roman Empire. Now, this beast has 10 horns. And the fourth part of the statue in Daniel chapter two has 10 toes mixed with iron and clay. And then in Daniel two, the rock comes, if you remember, the rock that's not cut by human hands, it's cut by supernatural hands. It comes out of nowhere and it dashes the statue to pieces. We said represents Jesus's return and his crushing of the nations and the receiving of an eternal and universal kingdom. And so we believe here, verse seven, and you're going to see here in, in just a little bit that there's going to be this confederacy of nations. That's the 10 horns that are going to come to power. The antichrist will rule these nations before the second coming of God. When Jesus returns, verse eight, as I was looking at the horns, suddenly another small horn appeared among them. Three of the first horns were torn out by the roots to make room for it. This little horn had eyes like human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. This little horn grows, it rises up, it increases in size beyond the original 10 horns that are shown. It overpowers them and by force this king, that's what horns represent in the scripture. By force, this king, this little horn is going to subjugate the other kings and kingdoms who resist him. And he's going to rule over them. The empire symbolized by the 10 horns comes under this aggressive horn or king's full control, as you'll read here in just a little bit. This individual is going to be extremely intelligent and clever. He has a mouth that speaks boastfully and it talks about or depicts, symbolizes this king's arrogant assertions, particularly his blasphemies against the one true God you're going to read about here in just a little bit. His message is going to be appalling to followers of Jesus, but the world is going to fall under his spell and his captivating personality. This individual is the antichrist. And it's been said of the Antichrist, this little horn, it is the one of the human race, one of the human race in whom Satan will wholly take up his residence in bodily form. God has a son, his name is Jesus, who is God in the flesh, the fullness of God in bodily form, the scripture says. Well, the spirit of Satan, the spirit of Antichrist, the spirit of Babylon creates a counterfeit, an Antichrist, opposed to Christ, against Christ, it was the presence of Satan taken up holy and bodily form. So Daniel's predicting in the last days, there's going to be a powerful empire made up of confederation of kingdoms or nations that are going to rise out of the ashes of the old Roman empire, that fourth beast. This final empire will have incredible power and by force, the antichrist will rule the whole earth through this empire. And if you read in revelation chapter 13, which mirrors a lot of Daniel chapter seven, you'll find some of this exact same language where this horn starts little, gets big, dominates, and rules. That's what Satan always does. That's the way Satan always works. It starts little, and it gets a whole lot bigger. Right? That's the way sin works. It starts little, but then you go further, and it gets bigger, and it goes deeper. 
It takes over and it gets more and more evil and the consequences get worse and worse and worse the longer that you succumb to that sin. See, that's the way Satan works. He's very deceptive. Starts little and then it gets big. Verse nine, now Daniel sees something totally different. I watched as thrones were put in place and the ancient one sat down to judge. His clothing was as white as snow, his hair like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire and a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence and millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to attend to him and then the court began its session and the books were open. Daniel sees this awesome scene as the ancient of days. That's God the Father takes a seat upon his throne to judge. And Daniel sees some other thrones. And we believe these are for the saints who will judge, Revelation tells us, who will judge Satan and his followers right alongside the ancient of days. Revelation 20 verse four says that believers will sit upon these thrones. Other scripture passages in Luke 22, first Corinthians six, Revelation three, talk about how the saints in some manner will participate in this judgment. This clothing that's worn by the ancient of days was white as snow, symbolizing the absolute moral purity of our divine judge. God is holy. And because he is holy, he must judge sin. Yes, God is love. The scripture says he is slow to anger and abounding in love and forgiveness and mercy and patience. But our God is also holy. He hates sin. He is angry at sin and he pours his wrath out against sin. Because our God is eternally holy and righteous and just. He must judge and punish sin and wickedness. The white hair that Daniel sees is a sign of, of old age. My uh, my, my son, Coben, reading passages like this has asked me before, dad, God's old, right? He's, he's older than anyone. I'm kind of like, well, yeah, kind of like he's always existed. So if God's old, that must mean he doesn't have teeth. And he talks like this. I'm like, no, that's, that's, you took it too far. Okay. The, the image works, but it's not precise, right? You, you, you took it too far. Okay. That's not the way God talks. No, this white hair is a symbol of God's eternal nature, that God has always existed and will always exist. God's throne was flaming with fire. Its wheels on this throne are ablaze with fire. There's a river of fire coming from this throne. Fire symbolizes the judgment of God. God's throne being engulfed in flames of fire signifies the wrath of God that is going to be poured out on the wicked. Daniel sees millions of angels ministering, worshiping, and attending our God. Something that Isaiah also saw when he saw this picture of heaven. This is a, a reality right now that we may not be able to see by sight, but we see it by faith. And one day we will see it by sight. That God rules and reigns from his throne. And there are millions upon millions upon millions of, of beings and angels that are worshiping him attending him and ministering to him. Daniel says the books were open and maybe this is the Lamb's book of life, that this might be the record uh, that God has in his books of all the good and evil deeds. We're not too sure, but it's by these books that God judges and that God will judge. 
and that the little horn, this antichrist will be judged by. Verse 11, I continue to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed and his body was destroyed by the fire. Then the other three beasts had their authority taken away from them, but they were allowed to live for just a little while longer. If it weren't so sad, the scene would actually be funny because this little horn with a big mouth that's spewing out all this venom and blasphemy towards God is suddenly consumed by the fire of God's judgment. And this little horn is silenced forever. Revelation 19 verse 20 specifically states that the antichrist and his followers will be doomed to the lake of fire where they will be tormented. The scripture says in the presence of the lamb forever. Hell is not Vegas. It's not a party where you get to go and hang out with all the people who have hated and rebelled against God. The scripture teaches that hell is the eternal conscious punishment of the wicked. And those who have not given their lives to Jesus, who have rebelled against God and his son and his kingdom will be tormented forever in the lake of fire in the presence of the lamb. God is love, but God is also at the same time just and righteous and holy, and he will pour out his anger and wrath on sin. Verse 13. As my vision continued that night, I I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. And his kingdom will never be destroyed. Who is this son of man coming on the clouds. In Mark chapter 14, verse 61 and 62, Jesus identified himself as that son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven one day. This week I researched and found that in the four gospels, Jesus referred to himself as the son of man 81 times. Jesus says, I am that son of man who is coming one day on the clouds of heaven. Someone like a son of man refers to Jesus' humanity. He's called the son of man, the son of God. He was fully God, fully man. We've said it here before to help you remember it. He was God in a bod, okay? Not, not the bod spray, okay? He's God in a bod, in a body. And this passage describes this bestowing of this physical kingdom through which Jesus will someday rule the earth. This kingdom will be universal. All peoples, nations, and every language group will worship him. It will be eternal. He's going to reign forever. There's going to be no more voting, no more campaigns, no more political parties forever. Those will be gone. Thank you, Jesus. We have one king who reigns forever and will never be overthrown. This is a reality, once again, that we must see by faith until one day we see by sight that God is reigning in heaven. He has a court. This kingdom is coming to earth. See, the Bible is not about practical tips for better living. It's about becoming worshipers of Jesus, the one true God. Verse 15, I, Daniel, was troubled by all I had seen and my visions terrified me. 
Some of us are like, I want to know the future, God. Tell me the future. You don't want to know the future, okay? You don't want to know the future. It's terrifying. It's scary. But at the same time, while reading some of these things is very sobering, it should wake you up to the reality and to the reality that's to come. It's also disheartening and it's hard to deal with when you consider the, the judgment of God upon the wicked for all eternity. And Daniel is, is troubled by this. He's hurt by this. Like Paul said about his brothers, his fellow Hebrews, he said, I, I would rather be cut off from God myself if it meant that all my brothers and sisters, if it meant my family, if it meant my people would know the one true God because this hurts. And while it instills hope and faith, it also, it hurts. Verse 16, so I approached one of those standing beside the, the throne and asked him what, all, what it all meant. And he explained it to me like this. These four huge beasts represents four kingdoms that will arise from the earth. These kingdoms that arise from their, their evil and they're wicked, like all things that arise from the earth and all things that come from within us because of sin, all things, this world and everything in it and our bodies are broken and cursed because of sin. And so everything that comes up from it and everything that, that, that comes out of us, uh, just in and of ourselves and left to ourselves is evil. It's wicked. It's why Paul says, we come up with foolish thoughts about God because our minds are darkened and they've been cursed by God. We come up with bad thoughts and ideas about who God is and what he's like. And everything that, that comes out of the earth and comes out of us, nations and kingdoms and governments and all these things now are, are, are all cursed and affected by sin. And so, so our hope is not in any nation or political party or form of government in this world where our hope is not in anything in this world that comes up out of this earth. No, our hope is in a king and kingdom who will come down from heaven. Verse 18. But in the end, the holy people of the most high will be given the kingdom and they will rule forever and ever. The holy people of God are the saints. That's you and I. If you've given your life to Jesus, the scripture says your sin has been forgiven. You've been made right with God and you are a holy saint without fault, without blemish, clean and holy in the eyes of God. That's you. You're a saint of God if you're a follower of Jesus. You're royalty. And so you will reign, verse 18 says, in this kingdom under the authority of Jesus. And so in case you're like, oh, wow, then man, I must really be awesome. No, no, no. he is awesome. It's the difference between dogs and cats. You do something for a dog, they just think you're most amazing thing in the world. You do something for a cat, they're like, I deserve that. Like, I'm awesome, right? That's why dogs will be in heaven and kitten. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, all right. Verse 19. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast. So the one, uh, the one so different from the others and, and so terrifying. It had devoured and crushed its victims with iron teeth and bronze claws, trampling their remains beneath its feet. I also asked about the 10 horns on the fourth beast head and the little horn that came up afterward and destroyed three of the other horns. This horn had seemed greater than the others and it had human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. And as I watched, this horn was waging war against God's holy people and was 
defeating them. So this little horn, this beast, Revelation tells us the Antichrist is going to successfully persecute believers. Read Revelation chapter 13, verse seven. There is a war that's taking place and it's going to seem like the Antichrist or the beast is winning that war as he persecutes believers and worshipers of God. And even today, you and I, the scripture says, are at war. You're in a battle. It's the spirit of Babylon that's trying to steal, kill, and destroy your life and steal the worship of the one true God. He's trying to ruin you and marginalize you and put you to sleep. That's what the spirit of Babylon is trying to do to this day. And so if you don't feel like you're at war with something, if you don't feel, or if you feel comfortable in this life and in this society, in this culture, and if you don't feel like you're at war against something, something is wrong. Something is drastically wrong. If you don't feel like you're in a war, if you're in a battle right now against an evil force that wants to take you and your kids and your grandkids out. You are in a war and that's why we need to wake up. And that's why we need to read books like Daniel. And that's why we need to see these images and the way the spirit of Babylon works is as a beast who wants to destroy us. You are in a war. Verse 22. This war is going to continue, it says, until the ancient one, the most high, came and judged in favor of his holy people. And then the time arrived for the holy people to take over the kingdom. So this persecution is going to continue until the ancient of days renders his just decision on behalf of the saints. And when Christ returns, the saints will rule with him in a thousand year kingdom. Revelation 20 tells us, and then we will enter into this eternal state on a new earth, new city, new bodies. And since it's Jesus here, the son of man, who's going to come on the clouds that puts an end to the rule of these horns and to the little horn, we believe that these 10 kings, these 10 horns are representing this confederation again of, of nations that's going to rule at the end. Daniel's predicting that out of the old Roman empire, the beast, the iron beast is going to arise 10 kings. These 10 horns or kingdoms that are gonna constitute a new phase of that empire at the end of this age. Verse 23, then he said to me, this fourth beast is the fourth world power that will rule the earth. It will be different from all the others. It will devour the whole world, trampling and crushing everything in its path. That's the, the Roman empire. It's 10 horns. This is the, the Roman, the renewed Roman empire-like confederation of nations that we expect to come in the end. The 10 horns are 10 kings who will rule that empire once again. Then another king will arise, different from the other 10, who will subdue three of them. That's the, the little horn. He will defy the most high and oppress the holy people of God, the holy people of the most high. He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws and they will be placed under his control for a time, times and half a time. So the antichrist, this little horn, the beast in Revelation 13 is going to blaspheme God. And the antichrist is going to demand the worship or the allegiance of humanity. You can read more about that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 13. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul calls the beast, the antichrist, the little horn, the man of lawlessness, who's going to set himself up to be God. In Revelation 13, 
John sees the beast, this antichrist, is wounded and appears to die, but then will rise from the dead, performing a counterfeit resurrection to the true resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this little horn, this beast, the antichrist, is going to perform false signs and wonders. And so, listen to me, if you chase power, signs, wonders, and miracles, you're going to meet Satan. If your faith depends on seeing signs and wonders and miracles in this life, you're going to meet Satan. We chase Jesus. And miracles will oftentimes follow us. But we chase Jesus and we receive whatever Jesus gives us. The Antichrist will deceive many by performing miraculous signs and wonders through demonic, satanic power. The Antichrist will oppress the saints of God. Believers will be daily harassed until their lives become miserable. Religious freedom will be abolished. Economic pressure will be applied by force to subject people to follow him and to force them to reject their religion. Law here, when it says he will try to change their sacred festivals and laws, law here is religious law. Chapter eight, verse 12, next week, you'll see that it's the Antichrist who wants to overthrow truth and trample it underfoot. Ultimately, here's what you gotta know, trying to change God's ways, his laws, his design, or his morals is anti-Christ. It is evil, it is demonic. You see, when you read God's word, you're gonna do one of two things. You're gonna change the word of God or you're gonna change your behavior. There's no other option. You're gonna to try to come up with a different interpretation. You're gonna disagree with God's word or you're going to submit yourself to God's word and you're going to change your behavior. It's the spirit of Babylon. It's the spirit of antichrist. It's an evil, demonic, satanic spirit that tries to stand over the word of God rather than to submit yourself under the word of God. When you disagree with God's word, you are wrong. When you ignore God's word, when you believe things that are not in God's word, you're wrong. And it's the spirit of Babylon that wants to lead us, the spirit of Antichrist, the spirit of Satan that wants to lead us to ignore God's word or try to change God's word to fit our lifestyle rather than changing our lifestyle to fit God's word. The last part of this verse says that these things will be placed under his control for a time, times, and half the time. Some people think that means a year, two years, and half a year, or three and a half years. Some people think it's symbolic. Regardless, this rebellion and persecution of the little horn is gonna get off to a fast start. It's seeming like, it's going to seem like it's gonna last forever, but then it's suddenly going to be cut off when the Son of Man returns on the clouds. Verse 26 but then the court will pass judgment and all his power will be taken away and completely destroyed. This judgment will occur at the end of the tribulation period when Jesus Christ returns from heaven with his holy angels. The court of God's judgment will convene and pronounce the sentence of destruction upon the Antichrist. Verse 27, then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the most high. His kingdom will last forever and all rulers will serve and obey him. 
Verse 13 and 14 said that the son of man's going to be coronated as a ruler of a great kingdom. He's going to be worshiped by all the peoples of the earth and have an everlasting dominion. And the holy people are these followers of the son of man, Jesus Christ described in 13 and 14, and they will rule the kingdom under the authority of Jesus. Verse 28, that was the end of the vision. And I, Daniel was terrified by my thoughts and my face was pale of fear, but I kept these things to myself. And as we conclude, you might be thinking, wow, I'm not sure if that was from God or if like you joked in the beginning, that was some sort of wild acid trip, okay? Now I know that was a lot. So let me kind of summarize everything that's just happened so that you can have something to kind of take with you and to remember. And this is in the app, this is in your notes in the app. Uh, this is kind of a, a chart here. I'm the weird one, okay? This is uh, my interpretation again. A lot of this is in the open hand, some of it's in the closed hand, okay? You've got the Babylonian empire represented here. This is the Daniel chapter two statue with the, the head of gold is the lion with the wings. That's the Babylonian empire. You've got the bear that's leaning to one side with the three ribs in his mouth. This represents the Medo-Persian empire. Then you've got the, the leopard with wings and the four heads. This represents the, the Greek empire. Then you've got the iron beast with the 10 horns, Roman empire, renewed Roman empire, like uh, country or nation that is to come. In Daniel chapter two, we had the rock that was not cut by human hands that was come, that came down out of nowhere and dashes the statue to pieces. This is the Daniel chapter seven, son of man returning on the clouds. And then out of the 10 horns, you've got a little horn that's going to rise up as the antichrist. Now, so much of this is in the open hand. Here's what's in the closed hand. Here's what we know for sure. The little horn is gonna rise up. There's gonna be an antichrist. that's gonna come up and rule and persecute the people of God. But then the rock, the supernatural rock, the son of man's going to return on the clouds, judge Satan and the antichrist and all of his followers and set up his kingdom here on earth that will last forever. So three takeaways. First takeaway is this. The antichrist will come up from the earth Gradually, it's a little horn that becomes bigger and be destroyed forever. That's the Antichrist, the little horn. The beast will come up from the earth, will rise up gradually, but be destroyed forever. Here's the second takeaway. Jesus will come down from heaven out of the clouds suddenly and reign forever. Jesus is going to come down from heaven out of the clouds suddenly and he will reign Forever. In Acts chapter one, when Jesus ascended into heaven, an angel came and told his followers, hey, this same Jesus who you've just seen ascend into heaven through the clouds, he's going to return in the exact same way you saw him go. Psalms and Isaiah talk about how our God is a cloud rider. Our God skateboards on the clouds. And that's how Jesus is going to return. Jesus said that he was the son of man and he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There is no king like our King Jesus. And so I invite you to give your life to him today that you might be forgiven of your sin, made right with God and know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. Give your life to King Jesus who died in your place for your sin. And if that's you, jump on our app, fill out our connect form, and let us know that you're giving your life to Jesus today. 
Now here's the final takeaway. Third takeaway is this. I don't know the future, but I know the one who knows the future. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not certain about everything that we just said. This is what, this is what I believe. I, I don't know the future. You don't know the future. But I know the one who knows the future. God rules the future. In Matthew 24, Jesus said this, a day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about. So, so Jesus refers back to Daniel and says all that, that, that Daniel guy, he heard from God, he wrote from God, he spoke from God, that's all God's word. The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about. Jesus said this, you will see the son of man coming on the clouds with power and glory. John wrote in Revelation chapter one in his vision of the end, here's what Daniel or John saw. Watch what he said, look, look, he comes. The son of man is coming with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even they who pierced him. He is coming back. It's a reality that we believe by faith until we see by sight. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word, for your inspired word. God, that comforts us, that challenges us, that changes us. God, that fills us with hope and faith for these turbulent times that we find ourselves in. God, would you lift our eyes to heaven to see the reality by faith until we see by sight. And Jesus, fill our hearts with hope and faith right now that you are going to return one day. You're coming again on the clouds. You're gonna set everything right. You're gonna wipe every tear from our eye. You're going to judge wickedness and evil forever. And you are going to reign forever. And we will worship you today and forever. King Jesus, it's in your name we pray. 